This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Jean Yao. And I'm Natasha and Zachariah, and we cover Singapore politics. In this episode, we're going to discuss how social media and podcasts have helped presidential candidates win hearts and minds before Singaporeans go to the polls on September 1st, which is this coming Friday. Dr. Mustafa Izuddin, a senior international affairs analyst at Solaris Strategies Singapore, said the youth vote is a kingmaker in the presidential election. With that in mind, we've got two youths in the studio to discuss how well each candidate has used social media and why it matters to young people. Our first guest is Joel Lim, host of Political Prude podcast, a show catered towards young adults. He has hosted all three presidential candidates on his show recently. Welcome to our show, Joel. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. You guys have no idea. I came in here and I was like shaking. I was like, yes. So I'm really excited to be here. Our second guest is Maximiliano, a third-year undergraduate from the National University of Singapore. He's pursuing a degree in political science and philosophy. He's a keen follower of politics and current affairs too. Good to have you on the show as well, Max. Hi, nice to meet all of you. The Elections Department had earlier encouraged candidates to use social media and broadcasts to reach out to voters and discourage them from using in-person rallies. So Natasha and I co-wrote an SC article on Sunday, August the 27th in which we spoke to media experts and discussed how each candidate was using social media in different ways to accomplish their own unique goals. So, Maximilian, to you first. For you as a young person who's been keeping up with the candidates online, what's the sentiment among your peers about how each candidate is coming across on their socials? Well, for Mr. Ng, I think he's really trying to show his credentials, trying to tell Singaporeans what he has to offer. And I think as you have covered in your Straits Times article, he's the one who has spent the most on his social media campaign. He also mentioned this in the presidential forum last night, where he said that to target the youth vote, he is really using social media very aggressively. And I think this makes sense for him because Mr. Ng is not a very recognisable face, so he doesn't want to leave anything up to speculation. As for Mr. Thaman, he's really trying to show his personal side. If you look at his Instagram feed, most of his posts are actually of other people talking about him rather than him talking about himself. And I think this is an effective way for him to reach out to the young because people already know a lot about his credentials, about his time as the Minister of Finance and his long career as a statesman. As for Mr. Tan, for lack of a better term, he may come across as a bit of a loose cannon. You know, you never know what he's going to post about next. But to his credit, I think he's coming across as a very honest and truthful person because it seems like he's writing his own posts on Facebook and his other social media platforms. Like, I'm not sure if Joel can confirm this, but I don't think Mr. Tan does have a PR rep or PR team for his campaign. So, interestingly, when I recorded the podcast, I was able to then interact with the candidates and their teams, or lack thereof. So, actually, I had all four, not just all three. At, at the point when George Goh was still, uh, you know, in the, in the running, he came with a team as well. Mr. Thaman came with his team as well. And Mr. Ng came with his team as well. All three of those candidates, I actually spoke to their reps before having them come onto the show. For Mr. Tan, I actually contacted him directly and he also asked me to text him on WhatsApp. So it was directly uh, in communication with him. And when he came to the studio, he was alone as well. So, yeah. Okay, so Joel, having hosted all three candidates on your show, what was the highlight for each of them for you on the episode? Right. So, I mean, of course, there's the important 
questions that I had to ask. But I think for in terms of highlights, I thought for Mr. Thaman, it was really the playlist question that I asked him. I, I was I trying to get to know him on a more personal level, right? Because I think, as Max said, all of us know him as this minister, you know, or, or this important figure in Singapore who has had really good track record over the years. But I don't really know him outside of that role, you know. So what I wanted to do with the podcast was also to try to find that side of him, the softer side of him. So when I asked him that personal question, in his reply, and you can watch the podcast to, to see his expression, I felt like I saw his face light up when he started talking about music. So at that point, I was like, okay, well, I didn't really plan to ask him the playlist question, but if I could see that spark in his eye, there's a little sparkle, then maybe I can just ask him, hey, you know, if you're going to put together a playlist like Obama does every year, what would what be on what kind of songs will be on, on that playlist? And um, so I was expecting kind of like a very chill answer, right? Because usually when I ask people like, oh, you know, what are you listening to or what will be on your playlist? They'll be like, oh yeah, like Miley Cyrus. Oh yeah, like, you know, um, like Post Malone. Uh, and because they're great for the gym, for example, and then they'll move on to the next conversation topic. But with Mr. Thaman, he was just like, oh, this song, that song, this song, that song. And it just never stopped. And I was just like sitting, at, at one point I was like, do I step in or do I let him go on? And I was like, you know what, let, let him go on. And I think he chose about like 18 to 20 songs, which was a little bit like, <laughs> in the, the editor in me was like, uh, this is going to take a long time to cut down in, in the show. But in terms of content wise, I was like, hey, this is an entirely new site to him. And we decided then to also cut that into a, a reel and a TikTok and put it out on social media. And those two clips really just went viral. And then we actually then, of course, created the playlist itself because everyone was talking about it. They're like, can you please create the playlist? We're like, okay, 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 we'll put it together. And, and that went viral again. So I thought not just me, but also a lot of people who listen to the podcast felt like that playlist question allowed us to see like a new side to him. For Mr. Ng, I felt like the standout point was when he started telling stories. I think he's a great storyteller. He's a very emotional person. And I mean, for me, what I saw online was a lot of people talking about his relationship with Sybil and specifically focusing on the 30-year age gap. So I decided to ask him about that, right? And wanted to know what it's like to be on the receiving end of all of that attention and comments and whatnot. His answer took me by surprise because he then told me about his relationship with his wife, Patricia, who passed away from cancer. So then that changed entirely my perception of him and also my attitude towards that, that, that part of the conversation where I felt like, oh man, you know, if he had maybe started off his campaign by telling us that very sweet story, maybe the narrative could have changed a little bit. And I was sitting on the other side of the table and he's the only candidate that actually made me feel like I wanted to cry in the podcast. But I was like, no, this is not the kind of show, you know, I'm not going to cry. But yeah, so so I did really feel like I connected on, a, on an emotional level with him, which I felt like none of the other candidates did. And I thought that was a standout moment. Uh, for Mr. Tan Kin Lian, there was no really like one specific stand-up moment, uh, surprisingly. Uh, but I think what was interesting was that I was entirely surprised by how coherent the entire conversation was. No shade. Uh, it was just more of like, um, I really didn't know what to expect coming into this conversation. Never really heard him speak long form before. Uh, I, I believe I was his second podcast, but the podcast that he recorded was not released by the time I spoke with him. So I, I know what to expect with him. And I, f I just found it interesting that he was so, that he really did speak with conviction and also was able to put across his points eloquently, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Okay. So in now that you've put out all three, what was some of the feedback that you got? And did anything stand out to you from what your followers were saying about the three interviews? Right. I think 
the medium of podcast has allowed all, all of them to get to know the candidates a little bit better on a more intimate level. Across the board, I feel like a lot of people came out of those podcasts feeling surprised. I do think that because these three individuals have had so much media attention, whether it's on social media or you know in mainstream media, everyone has kind of had their own impressions formed of them, perhaps also through you know how people talk about them on Twitter or Instagram stories, that you come in maybe a little bit biased, right? But what I appreciate of with, from a lot of the listeners is that they came in and they didn't really um, just dismiss the candidates. They really came in and listened to each one and then compared them. And then they walked away saying, hey, actually, I'm, I was quite surprised by like this one or that one, uh, even though they might have had like, you know, preconceived notions of biases coming into it. Yeah. Okay. And for both of you as young people, what is an assumption about the youth vote that may be untrue? You know, people tend to say that youth don't really care about politics. But I was just wondering what kind of, like, are your peers keeping up with the latest developments and do they care about what the role of the president is? Do they know what the role of the president is? Maybe Max can start us off. Um, yes, definitely. I think that the young people do really care about the presidential election. I think also we should not look at the youth vote as a cohesive voting bloc. It's a very diverse group of people. People have different opinions and different beliefs. I think that all three candidates will definitely enjoy support from different portions of the youth. But yes, the youth are definitely interested in the presidential election. But I would say in a more passive sense, I don't think that the interest level is as high as, for example, a general election. But that is really due to the nature of the elected presidency in Singapore, where the political stakes of an election is much lower. As for whether they are aware of the role of the elected president, I think online pages such as Drell's Instagram page does help a lot in that, as well as some traditional media sources. I think that this is very important because we haven't had a contested election since 2011. So it's been 12 years since we had to ask ourselves the question, you know, what does the elected president do? What can't the elected president do? Yeah, I agree. I don't think you can like generalize and have a, like one one size fit all opinion of like young voters. Um, but I do think that I mean I can speak from my perspective from the online social media space. At least from what I see, a lot of people are interested in the memes that come out of elections. I think that's what people use to consume the election content the most. And I think one of maybe to answer the question, one of the misconceptions that people have is particularly of this current generation of young people, is that we are very woke and very like passionate about like the, the causes that we care about. I do think that, yes, there is a certain portion of young people who are like that. But there are also others, as Max has said, like who, who just want to have a very practical viewpoint of the role of the president, right? And, and a lot of them are basing their votes on various reasons, you know, and, and it's not just because, like, for example, like, this candidate stands for this cause or this issue that I want to support or want to, like, put my weight behind. Some, uh, actually, a, a, a large number of them just want to know, like, are they going to be representing Singapore well on the global platform? Some of them, actually, uh, quite a number of them, have told me that they're voting based on the package of husband and wife, or in, in a case, future husband and wife, because they want to, they, they, they know that the president's portraits will be hung in school halls and they want to vote based on what they think it will be a good duo. Which is interesting, right? Like, I never thought of that, you know. And when the first person said that to me, I was like, 
oh, like that's new. <laughs> like, I have never considered that. And then the second person told me that. And then the third person told me that. And I was like, oh, this is an actual thing. And then online, you also see the conversations like that, that are now surrounding the partners of all these candidates, right? And, and, and I'm thinking like, okay, people are actually considering, you know, not just the candidate themselves, but also their spouses. So I thought that was a kind of an interesting thing. But to just circle back to the, the main question, I think a lot of people are basing their votes on various reasons. And I really don't think, as Max said, that you can really just pigeonhole uh, young people as one like one group, one monolith. Okay, so Joel, I think it's great that you brought up, you know, their partners. And we've seen all three of, you know, the wives and Mr. Ng's fiancé on the campaign trail. Um, have yeah. you gotten to know them on a very personal basis? You know, how they live, how they meet each other. Is that a factor, a big factor for young voters in trying to get to the personal side of these candidates? Does it matter to both of you, for example? I don't think I can speak for everyone, but for me, I think yes. In a sense, I do think that because the, the role of the president is, is, is more... I mean, they, they do have a community role, right? And I do, want, do, I do take that into consideration because I, I want a president that has values that are aligned with mine. And a lot of it you can see from the way they are like within their own homes and their own families or outside of their jobs, right? So not entirely basing my vote on that, but an important factor for me to take into consideration. Yeah, I agree with uh, Joel. I think a lot of young people really care about how a person is in their personal relationships. You know, some of them may think that this is reflective of their character and starts how effective they will be as a president. And I think personal relationships as like, you know, knowing small snippets of their life, such as Mr. Ng's practice of meditation, Mr. Taman's love of poetry and Mr. Tan's interest in making puzzles. All these things really help to humanize the candidates, which is very useful for young people because, as Charles said, you know, the president is supposed to be caring for Singaporeans. They want to see the same values in the president as they want for themselves. And, and when they go on shows like yours, Joel, or when they interact with younger audiences, you know, when they hang out with influencers and talk to them, we, we do notice that, you know, they tend to also try and adopt more hip poses or, you know, in the way that they take pictures. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, does it come across as trying too hard or what does it feel like for, you know, people consuming this, young people in particular? I think most people think it's cute. We don't think too much about it. I think it's just like, all right, like it's, it's funny, you know. I, I think for them, they understand that you more and more, you have to speak the language of young people. Of course, they won't be doing those kind of poses on their own. I think by having, like, by aligning themselves with maybe content creators or younger people, it makes it easier for them to do so. And I think they also see the value that, like, you know, I mean, this is not the first time we've seen politicians uh, interact with younger audiences on social media. Right? I think GE 2020 was the first time we've seen on a wider scale that kind of um, willingness to go onto social media and speak the language of the different platforms. And then this election, I think they, they took that lesson and really just went with it. But yeah, I think people probably don't think they try too hard. They, I must also say that, you know, when you look at the pages of all these uh, candidates, minus Tan Lian, when we look at, for example, even George Goh, Mr. Thaman and Mr. Ng, it's very clear that their pages are run by teams. Lah. You know, it's very clear. And 
because the teams are obviously run by younger people and I've met them. <laughs> like, I, I, I know that they know how to speak the language and know how to position these candidates in less cringy ways. Um, so, you know, as you can see, like Mr. Ong Kok Song's Instagram page is like a massive hit, right? Like, some of his reels have gotten like, what, millions of views. He has gotten over 100,000 followers now. I don't think Mr. Ng is on Photoshop, you know, designing his posts every single day. I don't think he's the one putting together the design elements. You know, I'm sure he has a team behind that and the, and the team who's a copywriting. the language of the post that makes them, you know, shareable on social media. Same thing for Mr. Thaman, like his little like uh, bite-sized snippets on his personal life, obviously produced by, you know, a social media team who knows what they're doing. Um, so... I think that has changed a little bit. I think in GE 2020, we see politicians entering the space and a lot of people going like, like, what's going on? So cringe, you know, and I think they hear it. You know, they see it, they hear it. And now you can see a little bit more of like, a polished social media strategy or social media plan this time around. Minus, thank you, Leah, of course. Uh, but, you know, I would say that for Mr. Tan, like it works on his own. You know, uh, I mean, his is special, right? Because all... Like Mr. Ng, Mr. Go, Mr. Thaman, they all started like their social media work recently, you know, because of this presidential election. Mr. Tan has been actively posting on Facebook for years now. And he has built his followers, follow account over the years since, you know, the last presidential, uh, sorry, the 2011 presidential elections. So he has kind of like a cult following. I called him an influencer on the podcast. I was like, hey, you know, you got a lot of followers. But yeah, like, you know, so maybe he doesn't really need like that big of a strategy because he has his own follower base, you know, so. Max, what's your take? Yeah, I think that Mr. Tan is a very interesting person because, as Charles said, he has been active since PE 2011. You can take it in the sense that he has been campaigning for over a decade now. And he has built a very consistent media presence. You know, every few years we see an online forum post talking about what Mr. Tan has talked about on Facebook. And it comes off as very natural. You know, he has been posting selfies for many years. It's not something that we think is done by social media team. It's really him being himself. And I think for Mr. Taman and Mr. Ng, what they enjoy that contrasts with, for example, what we saw in G2020 is that they both seem very natural when they are doing things that may seem to be targeting the youth more. Mr. Taman comes across as a very family man and Mr. Ng may come across as a bit of like a friendly grandpa. You know, he is very, very friendly. He smiles a lot and he's a very nice person to look at. So I think all three of them are very natural, which is why we don't really have any suspicions when they try to do things that try to reach out to young voters. Can I um, offer a new um, perspective on social media? I think um, a lot of the conversation when it comes to social media is focused on platforms like Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube maybe. But I think now that I've done the Political Proof podcast, what I've realized is that there is also massive power or massive influence when you have a WhatsApp strategy. And I see it from Mr. Ng and from Mr. Tan, actually. And, and this is purely from my experience. It was something that I only realized after I saw the numbers on the back end. So when the, when the podcast episodes came out, Mr. Ng and Mr. Tan's, both of them, or both their teams on, on WhatsApp, started sharing the, the links to the podcasts on WhatsApp. And I think for Mr. Tan... His was a little bit more 
casual in the sense that like they they cut out a clip and then they said, please forward it to your friends, you know. And and actually, it's quite amusing for me to be like reading all the the posts on the WhatsApp group because they were like say like things like please viral this link, you know, and then they'll like send it out. But I think it works. You see people interacting with them, and you know, more and more I realize as I speak to older relatives, my parents. And I see the way they function on WhatsApp. I think they treat WhatsApp like how my generation treats Instagram and TikTok. You know, they spend a lot of time on WhatsApp, just forwarding messages out. So I think that this WhatsApp strategy actually works really well for someone like Mr. Tan. Because, you know, maybe the way it's written is not polished, but it's really speaking the same language as how that generation speaks. And it's... Just like how, for example, our generation likes something or they find something interesting, what what do we do? We retweet or we share it to our Instagram story and give our own opinion, right? For them, what I realize is that they forward it to their friends. They don't give the commentary, you know, they just forward. And then you just need to click like the first 10 WhatsApp groups that you're in. Boom, you know, and then you just multiply that by... You can actually still reach a huge number of people. Maybe not the young voters, because I think a lot of us, when we see all those messages on family chats, we're like, Papa, I really thought you stop sending these kind of messages. You know, enough, please. And, and then they send all the video files and it kills my WhatsApp memory. But for their generation, I think it really works because they really watch and they really like, hey, this one good, huh? this one good. So that has been a new perspective for me. WhatsApp, WhatsApp marketing, that I think maybe... Not a lot of people are putting focus on. Yeah, I, I, I do think there's huge value in WhatsApp. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Back to our conversation with our two guests on how social media and podcasts have helped Singapore presidential candidates win hearts and minds before Singaporeans go to the polls on 1st September, this coming Friday. And I think it's interesting that both of you kind of dissected Mr. Tan's Facebook post because as you both have said, you know, he has a long history in, you know, marketing himself on that platform. But that's also saying that the internet never forgets, right? Mm. So some of his past posts, you know, the ones about pretty girls that he has snapped pictures of women outside. Mm-hmm. Um, do you th- What do you think about how this will affect his campaign or how it has affected his campaign? Well, I think that it definitely does have a negative impact on his campaign. We just not are not sure to what extent that negative impact will be. I think the PEC has come out to say that their approval of his candidature does not mean they are endorsing what he says online. But still, it is reflective of his views as a person. And as a president, one's values may be more important than considering someone, for example, a member of parliament. So I do think it will definitely have a negative impact on his campaign. I think that young people especially will be much more against Mr. Tan's views, what he has said online, as compared to, for example, the older generation. Because, you know, we are in a time and age where we know that you shouldn't be saying these things and these things are wrong. But I think, to Mr. Tan's credit, he has addressed what he has said online. He has not tried to run away from it, which I guess may connect with some voters that he's standing by what he says even though they not be even though they may not be right. Can I give a hot take? <laughs> so, you know, when Mr. Tan came onto the podcast, what I realized was that 
Like he's he's intelligent man, you know, intelligent man. He's able to understand how things work. And he admitted on the podcast that he actually reviews his Facebook posts and he sees and he analyzes what posts do well. And he understands those are the kind of things that he will continue doing because it gives him the eyeballs, the reach, right? So, I mean, based on my understanding of that, when he when he enters this presidential election, I'm sure he knows who his demographic is. And I'm sure he knows who are the types of people that will resonate with his content, right? So maybe his content might not be the most, like, quote-unquote presidential, but I think he's really confident that when he says certain things, he's going to reach out to a certain demographic of people. And I think he maybe also understands that he's ne- he's never going to be competing with the people, for, competing for the votes of the people that were going to be leaning towards someone like maybe Mr. Thaman, right? So he's going entirely left field and going for the people who won't vote for Mr. Thaman or weren't considering voting for Mr. Thaman. I thought that, you know, it, it is, I don't know if it's the best strategy, it is a strategy. <laughs> and, you know, with regards to his past posts, I mean, he has the he has come forward to say many times that he thinks it's a smear campaign. But I think, for me, my my opinion is that it's really the internet. Lah. Like, you know, the internet never forgets. It's not just Mr. Tan, right? Like, yeah, you know, any influencer has also had, have had yeah, their past tweets dug out and then gotten cancelled over them. So I don't know if it's entirely a smear campaign, but yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah. No, I was going to say, it's not just like, influencers and all that who have to deal with like you know people showing receipts of their previous mm-hmm. posts you know I think if you remember Raisa Khan when yeah. she first came yeah. in people were making a big deal out of these posts she did like quite yes, early yeah, on yeah. and then Pritam Singh just came out and said this is going to happen more and more as you get younger generations mm-hmm. running for politics Mm. They all have this long history of like stuff they post when they were in uni or before that and mm. you know the internet never forgets. Yeah, it's so true, right? Which is why I'll never run for election <laughs> <laughs> office. Too much the there. number of videos of people having of me in marquee will get me in so much trouble. <laughs> yeah, you can represent a new breed of voters, right? Who like to party at marquee. Own, yeah, yeah. own your past. So that's, yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> yes, okay. The next question is, I wanted to ask Max, because you brought up this, like the whole notion of like non-partisanship, right? And obviously like to the candidates, it seems to mean different things. So I think Ng Kok Song, because I've been covering him a lot, every doorstop, he says that I have never been from a political party. I am your man for like, you know, I'm not going to be beholden to anyone, any political party. But then you also get Tan Kinen who's like, I am very independent. And I think he means from the establishment. So I, I don't know, have your friends or your people your age kind of picked up on the differences between these things? Because to us, it sounds like he's saying this all the time, but... There is a bit of a nuance between what each candidate means by independent, independence of mind, independent from PAP, independent from establishment. So, yeah, is this something that you pick up on? Yes, definitely. I think especially from Mr. Ng, we see even in the presidential forum, he's repeatedly saying, you know, he's never been part of any political party. Mr. Taman and Mr. Tan does have a different view, do have different views. They say that they have independence of mind, even though they are both endorsed by people related to a political party. But I will say that for what I mean by when I say non-partisan and what I feel that my friends feel when we talk about non-partisanship 
it does not necessarily mean that you have not been part of a political party, you have never been endorsed by a political party or you have never worked for the government before. By non-partisan, it means that you do not favour a particular political group, you do not favour a particular political party or political set of political views because the president is representative of all Singaporeans. You compare this to a parliamentary system where a member of parliament is supposed to represent a political view of a group of people, the president is supposed to represent the whole of Singapore. So they can have their own personal views, but when it comes to being a president, non-partisan means that they represent everybody regardless of their political affiliations. I think everybody knows that the, the, the baseline of the role is that, you know, the president needs to be above politics, right? It's really a non-partisan role. And I think the, um, the focus of independence this election is really because on the, the base level, you know, on, on, on the co- at coffee shop talk, everyone's like, eh, he PAP last time, you know, then is he going to be PAP? Or like now, now it's like, you know, um, oh, like all the opposition uh, Avengers are coming together to support like Mr. Tan. Then how? He opposition ah. So so that, that whole like discourse has now gone that way, right? And therefore we see them emphasizing. And for Mr. Ng, it's really because, you know, a lot of people were like lumping him together with Mr. Taman and saying, okay, they were part of the establishment. Like GIC, you know, reports to the government. And then he therefore he had to then say, Oh, I'm independent because. And it's already it really boils down to the baseline that everybody knows that it's supposed to be a role up of politics. And I think because of their various affiliations or perceived affiliations, they then have to put forward those different arguments. So the challenge is on us to to see whether or not their arguments make sense to us and whether or not we're convinced by them. I was wondering also, because we had a recent kind of somewhat bombshell with Dr. Tan Chingbok mm. joining, I used the term joining forces mm. with Mr. Tan Kinian. So how did you guys perceive that? Was that, because I mean, a, a lot of the analysts we spoke to said, you know, this is politicizing a an election that's not supposed to be very political. So how do you guys feel about that? I think that is very interesting. I think is it was unrealistic for Dr. Tan to feel that people won't think that this is politi- politicizing the election. But I will say that it may be more of a strategic move rather than a political move. I don't think that Dr. Tan endorsed Mr. Tan simply to get votes from the opposition or those who lean more towards the opposition. I think that he really did this in a strategic manner because when we look at the results of the 2011 presidential election, President Tony Tan only got about 30% of the vote. So the rest of the candidates got around 70% of the votes. So in their minds, they feel that if they can all unite the people who voted for them in 2011, they may have a good chance of getting Mr. Tan into the presidency role. But I don't think that Dr. Tan may have made a very good decision by endorsing Mr. Tan. I think definitely it has contributed to the views of the people that this has politicized the election a bit. I think we also have to consider the context into entering this presidential election. I think when Mr. Thaman first announced his intention to run, a lot of the online chatter that I read was about how how well Mr. Thaman performs is by extension a referendum on how people think about the PAP. And if you have that in context, then maybe, and it's just speculating here, like that decision to for Mr. Tan Chengbok to endorse Mr. Tan Kin Lian was really that, you know, he is from an opposition party. If, let's say, we, we see it as a referendum on the PAP, then maybe that, that's why he did endorse. But I mean, pure speculation, right? But in terms of shock value, some may say entertainment value, 
it was certainly a, a big one that, that came in. You know, I think a lot of people didn't expect for it to come right in the middle of the campaign season. The hustings, a new word that I learned <laughs> this <laughs> this election of hustings. Yeah, but um, yeah, like certainly a big one. Okay, the next question is, our in our story on Sunday, the political analyst kind of listed some broad key issues, areas that voters kind of have been putting a lot of emphasis on and will maybe make their decision on. So I think it was like the independence from the government, which I think all candidates have had to touch on at some point, and their character and their ability to, you know, hold office. So in your circles, what are some of the values, the areas of concerns that you think could sway voters? And for both of you, what is like your ideal president? Like what are the characteristics or the areas that they are good in? Well, I think that there are two main factors or areas of concern that will sway voters. I think firstly is really whether the president is non-partisan and slightly related to the first. The second is whether they are brave enough to say no to the government, to act as an effective check and balance on the government. But that aside, I think one of the main things that young people are really focusing on is the president on the world stage. You know, we are always discussing about, you know, Mr. Taman, Mr. Ng, Mr. Tan. Imagine them at the United Nations, imagine them in the US meeting President Joe Biden. How will we as Singaporeans feel and how will other people view us based on how the three different candidates look like and how they conduct themselves? And as for personally, what I would like to see in my next president, I think someone who is a unifying figure, someone who is respectful of others and someone who is not afraid to tell the truth. Those are the three things that I look for. I didn't touch on this earlier, but one of the other things that I think a lot of young people care about is really their competency to safeguard the reserves. I think that's our concern as, as a lot of young, young voters. I think most of us understand that we've drawn really quite a lot of money over the COVID period. And, you know, the reserves are very important, as a documentary recently showed us. So that's one. Another one is really whether or not we feel that the president can be someone that is representative of Singapore, of the people. In And it really depends on how you view being a good representative, right? For some, yes, it's, it's going on the world stage, um, you know, being a, a good diplomat, being able to present yourself in a presidential way. For others, it's speaking the language of the common man, you know. So it, it really differs from person to person. But I think the underlying thing is that whether or not you can represent the people that voted you in. I think as a Singaporean, I am very proud to be Singaporean, you know. Um, I think we have done really well in, in many areas. And when I have a leader, I just hope that I want this leader to be someone that continues to make me feel proud as a Singaporean. I have a quick question, math question. How old were you guys when you, in the 2011 presidential election? And do you remember any of it? I think I was 18. Okay. I was 18. And Max, how old were you? I was 11. Oh, gosh, cute. okay. So, <laughs> so you're you a first-time voter now? Yes, I'm a first-time voter. Yeah, but I don't really I remember much about the 2011 presidential election. I think the biggest one was probably the talk about how all of them had the same surname. And then Mr. Brown, I think, did a video on everyone also done. So I think it's interesting that I come into this election with a like, more knowledgeable perspective of politics. Yeah. And as first-time voters, what does that mean to you? Is it something of, you know, on Friday, what, what's your plan on Friday? Is it like a very big day to you or is it something like, oh, you know, something I just got to do today? Yeah, what's the importance you're giving to the day itself? For me, I think 
I I see my vote as an important vote. I I do I do have the viewpoint that every vote counts. So I want to make my vote count. I ain't spoiling no vote on my end. <laughs> but I don't think it will be this huge thing or so. I think I, I really just want to go in and, and, and like make my stamp. Is it a stamp? Is it a pen? I don't even know. Is it they use this with stamps, right? Yeah, stamps. Yeah, I think it will be a very important day for me, you know, first time voting in an election. But I will say that definitely the excitement for the presidential election is definitely very high compared to what I've seen from my parents in previous general elections. But I think Maybe one anecdote is that the first vote my parents cast was actually for the first elected presidency when Mr. Ong Teng Chong was contesting. So it is very nice that my first vote will also be for the presidential election. So cute. <laughs> slay. <laughs> can you say slay? <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can say slay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you both for being on the show with us today and coming down for this special episode. And thank you very much for sharing your insights with us. Thank you for having us. And thank you listeners for actually listening. If you're still listening right now, slay. Yeah, and Max, I mean, have fun on Friday, your first time voting. So I hope you enjoy that. Yes, thank you very much. Well, that's a wrap for this podcast by The Straits Times. There are links to our columns in our podcast show notes. If you resonate with the points shared in this podcast, do share it with friends and family. I'm Natasha and Zachariah. And I'm Jean Yao. Thanks for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O.